Well, good morning again, everybody. Um, glad you're here this morning. We are on week number three of a series that we're doing, whoa, here at Ignite, um, called The Pursuit, um, God's Heart for Rebels. And uh, it's a series that we're doing through the book of Jonah, a little four-chapter long book at the end of the, towards the end of the Old Testament. Uh, Jonah is a story really about, about a person's rebellion, about a person that's running from God, and about really about God's tireless pursuit of him, as well as countless others in the story. God pursuing to show his love, to show his power, to show his forgiveness, and to bring people home to him. The story of Jonah, like we've been talking about, is really all of our stories, right? There's, there's a, a little bit of Jonah that lives in all of us, I think. I was remembering this week about a friend of mine uh, from years back that had a little bit of Jonah in him as well. When I first got to know him, um, he was an alcoholic. He was uh, far from God, and he was walking in an era and in a stage of his life where everything was about to come apart. He was about to lose his job, his freedom, his possibly his family, everything all in a short period of time because he'd just gotten, I think it was his fifth DUI or DWI. Uh, and uh, he'd been in trouble before. Uh, he'd, he'd obviously gotten multiple DUIs before. Um, and, uh, and yet he'd always managed to kind of land on his feet from there. I'd sat down with him prior to that and, and tried to share the gospel with him, tried to point him to Jesus and say, man, there's hope and there's new life, there's power even uh, in, through God and in community to be able to walk out of alcoholism and into a new life and that kind of stuff. And although he was interested at that point, to be honest, his pride kind of ha- had him hold things in a distance. He's sort of like, I got it. Well, when, he, when the fifth DUI came about, it kind of kicked him into a whole new gear because he was facing real prison time. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I will likely never forget as long as I live what it was like to, to sit in a court of law um, and hear the judge say, uh, you're guilty, and see him just bawling. And the look on his face was just one of hopelessness, one of regret, one of like, what have I done? His wife is sitting there, you know, she's got snot and tears running <laughs> down her face as well. It was horrible. And to see the, the what is the bailiff? Is that what they call it? I mean, walk over, you know, get him by the arm and take him to prison for two years. It was horrible. That was the low point for this friend. Uh, the point at which uh, the full consequences of his running caught up with him the full consequences of what it's like perhaps to be in the belly of a whale on the bottom of the sea, to the, the, the end result of the downward spiral that he'd been on pretty much his entire life. However, at that point was the first moment when he hit the low, when he hit the bottom of the bottom. It was the first moment when he looked up and he started crying out to God from his prison cell. He started, he joined a little Bible study. He started uh, in a, a recovery uh, program. And uh, I'll tell you what, the living God reached in and, and answered his prayers and brought salvation to his soul. First and foremost, he was not the same man coming out that he was going in. There was a transformation that happened so that even 18 months later, he was released uh, on parole. Uh, I mean, literally, people could see Jesus in him. People would say, man, what happened to you? I remember him, he ended up going back and getting a job at the same place he'd been before. I remember stories of coworkers uh, that, would, that would be basically giving his testimony, saying, I don't know what happened, but I know who he was before, and he's not the same man 
now. There was a transformation. There was life. There was hope that happened. But the, but the Jonah spiral was there, right? I mean, he ran from God. He was filled with pride, right? He kept no God, no God, no God. And the downward spiral kept going until he hit bottom. He looked up and started a whole new trajectory for his life. God brought salvation. God brought healing. God brought freedom in unbelievable ways. It's the story of Jonah, and really, it's the story of our lives as well, is it not? I got a little bit of Jonah in me. How about you? Ever get any pride, any little bits of rebellion that live in you? Any downward spiral ever happen in your life? Maybe not a full-on end up in prison, but enough that you're rebelling from God and you're moving your own direction. You're like, God, I don't want, uh, no, I got this, I got this, right? I'll go my own way, I'll do my own thing. And we had to face the consequences until we came, until the pain level got high enough in our life where we turned back to God and found freedom and release, forgiveness and a second chance. Man, there's a lot of Jonah that lives in me as well. Well, today uh, I want us to kind of walk chapter 2, and we're going to learn some lessons about what to do when we hit bottom, when we find ourselves caught in the Jonah spiral. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to Jonah. Chapter 2, there's no shame in using the uh, you know, index at the beginning. Jonah's really small. If you get to, to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, you've gone just a bit too far. Back it up a few chapters uh, to the left, and you'll, you'll find it. Um, all, otherwise, you can also use uh, the Ignite Church app. There's notes in there. There's all the scriptures. You can follow along in there as well. We're going to read through the whole thing. Uh, it's not that long. I think uh, Jonah chapter 2 has 10 verses. We're going to start with the last verse of uh, Jonah 1. Uh, and then we'll kind of re refer back to those, uh, some of those verses as we go. Sound good? With me? Here we go. Jonah 1.17 through 2.10. says this. Now the Lord, by the way, background story here. What, where did we leave off last week? How, how was stuff going for Jonah at that time? Where was he? Right, in the belly of a... He'd, he'd, been, he'd run from God as far as he could in the other direction. He'd been going this down, down, downward spiral, right, kind of thing. Finally, he got thrown into the ocean, left for dead, and God... Right, this is verse 17. Now the Lord provides a huge fish, a great fish is what it means literally, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Remember that? Because we're coming back to that. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry, God. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters uh, threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you what I have promised, what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. That had to be a great moment, huh? 
<laughs> vomited Jonah onto dry land. Well, I just want us to go through, I want us to talk about this Jonah cycle, this Jonah spiral a little bit. We're only going to look at four things, four words. If you're taking, if you're a note taker, you can jot them down in your program uh, or again in the, in the app. But uh, just going to kind of look at four things so that we can sort of, re- uh, th- that, are, that are involved in the Jonah spiral so that we can recognize them in ourselves when it's happening and learn how to respond. Fair enough? First thing I want to talk about is pride, right? Pride. I'll just hit this one quick, but it's sort of the starting point. Pride. This comes more from chapter one, in all fairness, but I was really struck this week about how many different times God was intervening in Jonah's life. How many times God was coming after Jonah and giving him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, saying, Jonah, would you come back to me? Would you pray to me? Would you cry out to me? You don't, it doesn't have to end this way. You do not have to keep running, but come home, come home, come back, right? There's, there's one opportunity after the other, but it is Jonah's pride. It is Jonah's stubbornness that says, uh-uh, I'm not going there. I mean, think about it. This is from last week, but remember, God sends a great storm, it says. In fact, it says that God sent, originally he sent a great wind, and then a great storm, which shakes the ship that, that Jonah's on so powerfully and so badly that the sailors are crying like little schoolgirls, right? I mean, they, these professional sailors are scared to death. They are terrified, Right? That's, a, that, that's an opportunity that God sent this storm. And he's saying, Jonah, come back to me. You cannot outrun me, Jonah. Like, what? come on, really? You really think you're going to get away? Come on. I mean, come back home. Come back home. But Jonah, in his pride, says what? Uh-uh. Right? He's like, I'm going to go sleep this off. So he goes down below deck, right? Takes a nap. Finally, uh, that, that's the first uh, opportunity. Second one, right? God sends this unbelieving sea captain, captain of the ship down to say, Jonah, would you pray, right? The storm's so bad, it's threatening to bust up the ship. We're all scared for our lives. Would you pray? I mean, an unbelieving sea captain calling Jonah to pray. And what's Jonah's response? Does he pray? Does he pray? No, right? There's nothing in the entire, in the entire chapter one during this entire downward spiral you, you could call Jonah the, the prayerless prophet. He doesn't turn to God. He doesn't cry out. He doesn't want to come back to God because he knows he's in the wrong, right? We never do that, do we? When we're in the wrong, we never kind of avoid God or avoid church or avoid something else. I'm sure, I'm sure you don't, but maybe somebody sitting next to you does, right? But we all, we all kind of have those, that in us a little bit. But Jonah's running. He will not turn back to God. Third opportunity. The sailors uh, say, what, what do we need to do to calm the storm? Because they knew Jonah was running from God. And, and they said, Jonah said, pick me up, throw me into the sea. But they had mercy on him. They were trying to figure out if that, that can't be the way. And so there's this opportunity where the storm's still raging and the sailors are trying to figure out what to do. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And Jonah still doesn't respond. Finally, fourth, the, the sailors end up because they got nothing else. They pray and say, God, don't hold this against us. But they pick Jonah up, right, right into the drink. They, they throw him right into the sea. And, uh, and you can imagine being thrown overboard in a storm. Have you, have you been around the sea when it's stormy? Have you been around even the Great Lakes or some large body of water when it's stormy? It's scary. I remember, I remember the first year we lived in northeast Wisconsin, a little town in, uh, called Algoma, right on Lake Michigan. They had a fall storm 
uh, and it was so crazy. We I drove down by the pier to watch it. Uh, waves were going over our uh, our lighthouse. I mean, the lighthouse is I don't know forty feet tall or so. I mean, you're you're watching waves break over the top of it, and it was they would come up. There's a break wall. The wave would keep going. Then there was a maybe twenty thirty feet of land between you and the edge of uh, the the shoreline, and it would come up past that and splash onto my car as I was sitting there. Storms are scary, right? So imagine being thrown overboard. Man, I'll tell you what. I, I heard one uh, pastor that was saying, man, if it was me and the guys, he goes, I'll tell you when I'd repent. And the guys are standing there holding you over the storm, you know, over the, the edge of the storm, like the plank or something, right? And they're going, and a one, and a two. He said, I'd have repented right there, right? That would have been it. No need, right? Let's stop this whole thing. I did not need to be left for dead, thrown overboard, that whole thing. But we see nothing in the text, in, in the Bible, that would make me think that he repented that it's not until the lat finally, right, this, this whole thing comes to a finale when uh, God sends a fish, whale, or something, some large, great fish, it says, and swallows him, takes him to the bottom of the ocean, the belly of a fish where he stays for three days and three nights. It's not until then, when he has nowhere else to run, when there's nothing else he can do, it's not until that moment that he sort of comes to his senses. Only then does he quit running and turn back to God. You know, there's this stubbornness that I see in the story of Jonah, the stubbornness that I recognize in my own heart as well. A stubbornness that keeps Jonah running, uh, from running to, back to God. A stubbornness that keeps him running, keeps him on that downward spiral. Pride leads to peril in our lives. It leads to our downfall. It leads to destruction. It leads to pain. It leads to regret. Pride and stubbornness is where the whole Jonah cycle begins. How about you? Is there pride and stubbornness in you? Something that maybe that's keeping you from embracing God's will and God's plans for your life? Is there pride that maybe is keeping you on the run? Maybe it's not a full-on run away from God kind of thing, but maybe there's an area or two you're like, uh-uh. No, sir, God. It's pride. Second one is this, is pain. So it starts out with this pride cycle that keeps us running. And here's what happens, and I'll give you just, this is my analogy, but I'll tell you what, when we refuse to have soft hearts and turn back to God, when our pride level gets so high that we will not respond to God, you know what God often does? He'll raise the pain level <laughs> until it's enough that we'll, it'll humble us and we'll turn back to God. That's what happens in the Jonah story, right? The pain level keeps rising and rising and rising and rising and rising until finally Jonah's like, okay, God, I'm, I'm turning back to you. God uses pain all the time to get our attention, to turn us back home. I mean, this is when Jonah has no but, nowhere else he can run. He's got seaweed wrapped around his head, it says, right? He's feeling hopeless. His, his pride, his running from God has taken him to the bottom of the sea. He may have thought he hit bottom before, but this is a new low. Being in the stomach of a whale, the stomach of a giant fish for days, that has got to be the low spot. This is not a time when, when Jonah's going to pull out his cell phone and take a selfie, right? I mean, this is not, this is not something you want to remember, right? <laughs> like, this is bad news. He's in a terrible spot. All hope seems lost. 
And verse 1 says this, from inside the fish, at that point, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to you, Lord, and, and you answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. He says, you, God, hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves, all your breakers swept over me. When our pride keeps us running from God and from God's ways, God will often raise the level of pain in our lives to match or surpass our pride, to humble us and bring us back home to him. If Jonah's heart was softer and he was quicker to respond to God at the storm or with the call of the captain saying, would you, would you get on your knees? Would you humble yourself and pray? The fish wouldn't have been necessary. We, it might have shortened up the book of Jonah quite a bit. Right? If he'd have just been like, okay, like, right, I'm, I'm going to pray. The storm scared the bejeebers out of him, so maybe he'd turn back home. That'd have been, right, that might have been the end of the story. But it's his pride that keeps it going, and so God brings pain to bring him home. And he often does the same for us. I thought that was interesting. Verse 3, the, the whole, you, God, hurled me into the sea. Now, who was it, who was it really that hurled him into the sea? The sailors, right? And a one and a two, right? Kind of thing, right? It was the sailors, but, but a little bit of reflection. This is written after the fact, which is why Jonah's writing the prayer in the past tense. He might not have had a pencil and paper handy inside the fish, right? Nothing dry enough anyway. So he's writing it after the fact, talking in the past tense, sort of summarizing his prayer of those previous three days. But he's writing it with a little, with a little bit of time, a little bit of reflection. He says, you know what? I recognize now, God, it was really you. I mean, you were behind the storm. You were even behind the sailors throwing me into the sea. You were behind the waves and the breakers that were crashing over me. You were behind, in some ways he's saying, you were behind the pain. You were the author of it, the orchestrator of the whole thing, and you used it, God, to bring me back to you. After a little time had passed, after some reflection on Jonah's part with some perspective, Jonah's able to look and say, you know what? God was in that storm, and God was in that whale, and God was in the pain even that I experienced. He used it to bring me back to him. I thought it was interesting. God sent the great storm. It said God sent a great fish because clearly God had great plans for Jonah. He had great plans for Nineveh. He had great plans for the crew on board the ship. But Jonah had to quit running in his pride and to turn back to God. And so God used pain to bring a change of heart in Jonah that day. John Maxwell, writer, uh, former pastor, author, all kinds of stuff, he says this, people change for one of three reasons. They change when they hurt enough that they have to, when they learn enough that they want to, or they receive enough that they're able to. Pain does not have to be our teacher, but if pride, our pride keeps us from turning back to God, our hearts get harder and harder and harder. God will often use pain to bring us back home, not to pay us back, but to bring us back to him. I'll tell you what, friends, some of us are here and we're going through some uh, incredibly painful and hurtful, just really hard stuff right now. And maybe there's an area or two or three in which you've been kind of running from God or in which your pride has sort of gotten in the way of what you know God wants you to do. 
And maybe you feel like, man, I'm just, I'm losing it here. I cannot take much more of this. Maybe you feel like you're on a downward spiral going down and down and down and everything feels like it's spinning out of control and you're just not sure what you're gonna do. It could be a financial pressure that you're experiencing and it's just overwhelming. Everywhere you look, there's more bills, there's more, right, there's more debt, there's more whatever and there's not enough income to go and you just feel like, I don't know how much more I can take. Maybe it's marriage stuff or relationship stuff and it's going terribly and you're like, it's just the downward spiral and you're like, man, I do not know how much more I can take. Maybe it's uh, job stuff or school stuff or whatever and you just feel like, man, you're coming to the end of your rope. And I'll tell you what, friends, the day might very well come where you can look back at those events sort of like Jonah where you can look back and say, man, that was a sucky season. I hated it. I did not enjoy a bit of it. But I can recognize with a little wisdom, a little perspective, I can recognize God was in that. And he was using pain. He was using some of my own junk, sometimes other people's downward spiral. <laughs> but God was in that, and he was using it to bring me back home to him. Not to pay you back, but to bring you back. I read a story uh, this week, uh, ran across a true story. Minnesota radio station reported a story years ago about a stolen car uh, from California. Police were staging an intense search for the vehicle and for the driver, even to the point of placing announcements on local radio stations to try and contact the thief. You see, on the front seat of this stolen car sat a box of crackers, and unknown to the thief, these box, this box of crackers were laced with poison. The owner, the car owner had intended to use these crackers to kill some rats in their house. And so they had these sitting there. They were on their way home when their car was stolen. And now both the police and the owner of this VW bug were more interested in apprehending the thief to save his life rather than to recover the car. I read that and I thought, you know what? That's very similar, I think to God's perspective when he's coming after us again and again and again. So often we feel like God's coming after us to punish us or to you know, force his way on us or we, or we think that we know best, we know better than God and so we're running, we're going our own direction and we're like, la 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 God, I can't hear you, right? I mean, we're running our own way. We're, we're in our pride. We're just fleeing from him all the while. What we find that we're doing is we're eluding his rescue. <laughs> He's coming after us to rescue us, to bring us home, to bring us to life. What he's doing is for your good, not for your ill. He's not trying to pay you back so much as to bring you back home to him. He wants good stuff for you. The gift of God is sometimes the discipline of God. Sometimes the belly of the fish is the greatest gift we could ever receive. Listen to a couple of these other scriptures. Proverbs 3, uh, 12 says this. It says, the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And Hebrews 12 says this, but God disciplines us for, what is this, what's the next word say? For who's good? Is it to put the smack down on us? Is that why he's doing it? It's for our good. It's for our good that we may share in his holy, so we, we might become like him. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, to which all of us probably say, uh-huh, <laughs> right? Amen to that. But painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those that have been trained by it. 
Pain can be one of our greatest teachers, can it? Pain can be something that God uses in our life to bring us back to Him. We can avoid it. We can try to entertain our way out of it, right? We can put the blinders on and stick our head in the sand and try to pretend it's not there, but pain, oftentimes God is using pain to try and bring us back home. He says, man, there's something. I got something better for you. I'm trying to save you, not to, not to put the smack down on you. I'm trying to rescue. I'm trying to bring you to life. I'm trying to bring hope. I'm trying to teach you about how life works best. Andy Stanley says, God is generous in his grace, but he is thorough in his discipline. And it's true. He so often uses pain as a teacher to bring us back home. And that leads us to the next one. I called it repentance, <laughs> capital P. I couldn't come up with a P word for that, and I was kind of on this alliteration thing, so go with me. Pride, pain, the next part of the cycle is either penitence or repentance. Repentance is sort of the churchy word that means to do a 180. It means you're heading in this direction, right? And it means to turn around and head in the opposite direction. From a biblical perspective, anytime you read the word repent or repentance, it's, it's this picture, right, of I was running away from God. I was pursuing sin. I was going my own way. And then I stopped and I turned back to God. I did a 180. I headed back down the road to God. Jonah chapter 2 is really Jonah's prayer of repentance. The whole thing is one gigantic record of his prayer. When he's praying and saying, God, I was wrong. He's praying from the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, right? Nothing else could go wrong. He thought he might be dead, right? He thought that might be game, set, match. It, it starts out saying this is a three-day story, but Jonah didn't know that, right? He's sitting in the bottom of, this, uh, the, bottom of the sea going, man, this could be, this could be it. This could be, oh, it's, it's over, and so he, at that moment, for the first time, he looks up. And there's one word after another. He prays. He cries out to God, right? He, he basically says, I'm sorry. I was an idiot for going my own way. He starts saying, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to lift my voice to you. I'm going to cry out to you for salvation. Would you forgive me, he's saying. Would you rescue me? Would you bring me back home? Those are prayers of repentance. This is, this, Jonah chapter 2 is the bright spot in the book. This is the turning point. This is a, and then God broke in kind of part of the book, right? Where Jonah is heading in his own direction. He's running from God. His pride keeps him going until he hits the end. He turns back to God and he cries out and he prays and he calls to God and God answers. God rescues. God busts in and freaks and restores and does amazing things. Listen, listen to some of these verses, four through seven. He said, I have been banished from your sight, God, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. He's saying, I, you know, and yet in your grace, I'm gonna turn back to you. I'm gonna come to you. The engulfing waters threaten me. The deep surrounds me. Seaweed is wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, you brought my life. What's the next word? Up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, he says, I remembered you. What's that? He cried, right? He turned back to God. He cried out to God, Lord, my prayer rose to you. It's another upward sort of thing to your holy temple. It's the first time since the beginning of Jonah chapter 1 that we see the word up used to describe Jonah that way. 
Repentance is what stops the crazy downward spiral. Repentance, turning back, doing a 180 is what aligns us with the life and the love of God once again. When Jonah hits bottom, he looks up, he turns back to God and finds hope and finds forgiveness and finds restoration with God. God hears and he answers and he rescues, which takes us to the last one. When right, pride is in the downward spi spiral, God uses pain to get our attention, to turn us back, to do a 180 of repentance, to turn back to God. And then we see, it, it's there that we see the promise and the power of God, the promise and the power of God's rescue, of God's strength, of God's salvation, of God's hope, and on and on. Verses 9 and 10. Jonah says this, but I with shouts of grateful praise, God, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. And then listen to this. He says, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. He's restored. He's put his hope in God again. He's saying, God, I'm betting it all on you. Salvation comes from you and you alone. Would you save me? And then the next, very next verse, verse 10, says, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. He cries out to God. He turns to God. And what happens? We see God's power. We see God's salvation afresh. We see Jonah get rescued. But it's after Jonah turns back to God, after he cries out to God, God rescues him from the fish. The fish vomits Jonah up on dry ground. I was thinking about this this week and thinking, you know what? Sometimes our salvation, the deliverance, the way that God works in our lives is different from the way we'd expect or what we'd hope for, right? Sometimes it's not in our timing. It's not when we think it should happen. Oftentimes it's not the way we think it should happen. Who would like to get vomited out of a giant fish? What does that smell like? What does that feel like? He's come out sticky and stuff or what? I don't know. It seems terrible. Sometimes salvation comes in ways that we don't expect it, but when we quit running, and we turn back to God, when we cry out to Him, we get to see and experience and know His power, His salvation, and His hope and His promise that comes from being His. The first verse we read today was the last, last verse of chapter 1, right? And it, and it reminds us that Jonah is a three-day story. It's a three-day story. It's kind of this pattern in the Old Testament. Oftentimes the people of Israel, God's people in that day, are told that they're going to have to wait. There may be disappointment, maybe they feel abandoned, maybe they've been running from God. And God, God will tell them, deliverance is coming, rescue is coming to you. But the waiting period oftentimes is three days. Three days. It's a time of anticipation, a time of preparation, and a time of transformation that happens in those three days. Let me give you some examples. When a hero named Joseph was in prison, the Old Testament, he said to Pharaoh's cupbearer, in three days, Pharaoh will lift your head and he will restore you to your job, Genesis 40. When Israel was trapped in slavery, Moses asked Pharaoh, would you let us go three days, he says, into the wilderness. When, Israel, when the Israelites arrive at Sinai, God says this, he says, consecrate yourselves Consecrate the people, make them ready, because on the third day, on the third day, the Lord himself will come down. And it goes on to say on the third day, it came to pass, right? The Lord came down and made his presence known to the people. 
When Israel was threatened with genocide, a harem girl named Esther says that she will fast for how many days, you guess? Three days. And then she'll go before the king to seek deliverance for her people. When Israel was afraid to go into the promised land, God said to Israel, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Three days from now, you'll cross the Jordan and you will, you will possess the land that I'm giving you. You even see it in the New Testament. The New Testament, Acts chapter 9, when the Lord appears to a man by the name of Saul, who eventually becomes known as the Apostle Paul, right? Saul has been persecuting and killing Christians. He hated the church. What happens? Road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him. He speaks to him. Leaves Saul blinded. Want to guess for how many days? Three days, right? On the third day, God restores him. On the third day, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. On the third day, scales fall from his eyes and he can see. On the third day, he gets baptized and steps into a new life in Christ. The third day was used so frequently throughout the Bible that it's become sort of a technical expression, meaning sort of a time to wait and prepare and look to God and to look for, to the freedom and the liberation that he will bring. It's sort of like, well, right now things are messed up. Right now hope is being crushed. Right now hearts are disappointed, but a better day is coming. The third day will come. In the book of Hosea, I ran across this. It seems so applicable to what we're talking about today. It says this. It's what the prophet says. He says, come, let us return to the Lord. After two days, he'll revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Isn't that great? He'll restore us. He'll rescue us. He'll revive us that we may live in his presence. The story of Jonah, too, is a three-day story. The first day, it was dark. There was no hope. Seemed like game, set, match. It's all over. He's going to die. The second day, too, was very dark. But on the third day, God breaks in, doesn't he? And the third day, there's hope that gets restored. Right? There's restoration. There's freedom. New life. A second chance is given to Jonah on the third day. Part of the reason why Jonah, I think, is such a great story is because there's some foreshadowing going on here between this story of Jonah, this little prophet, this four-chapter-long book in the Old Testament, and another prophet that would come uh, in the New Testament. Jonah, we're told, is from a, a town by the name of Gath Heifer, which I would definitely change the name of that town. But anyway, <laughs> he's from a, a, a town by the name of Gath Heifer, which is a couple miles away from another small town in Israel known as Nazareth. Know of a prophet that came from Nazareth sometime? Anybody sound familiar to that? Listen to this. Jonah falls asleep in a boat during a severe storm in which everybody else on the boat is totally panicking and freaking out. When they wake him up, the storm is stilled by his actions. Is that not crazy? Sound familiar? Anybody else you know in the, from the Bible? Remember a story about Jesus, perhaps, right? Falling asleep in the front of a boat during a big storm, and all of his disciples are so convinced they're going to die, they wake him up and be like, Jesus, why don't you do something, right? And what's he do? He gets up, and he stills the storm with his voice. He rebukes the wind and the waves, it says, right? Peace, be still, and the storm is done. The name Jonah, Jonah's name means literally the dove, can also be translated given to a beloved one. Anybody else remember somebody who went down into the water? 
And when he came up out of the water, a dove descended on him, and a voice came from heaven that said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Toward the end of his life, Jesus said he had one sign to give this tragic world. He called it the sign of Jonah. Listen to this from Matthew 12, verse 40. It says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There's that third day story again. He's referring to another third day story instead of Jonah, right? On the first day, he's saying, man, Jesus, the Son of God, was whipped, was crucified, and died for the sins of the world, for the rebellion, for the running that you and I and every other human being has ever done in our lives. On the first day, the Savior would die for the sin and the rebellion that we deserve. The second day, too, was a very dark day. It seemed like all hope was gone. Didn't look any better. Pontius Pilate posted a guard to stand outside the tomb. He was in control now, Pontius Pilate thought, right? He's basically saying, it's over, it's done. I've won, right? The disciples were disillusioned. I mean, imagine, the Savior, they thought, the Messiah, he's dead, it's all over. But the story of Jesus is another three-day story, isn't it? Because on the third day, the third day is God's day. On the third day, prisoners of Pharaoh get set free. On the third day, we see little harem girls like Esther face down powerful giant kings. The third day is the day when prophets like Jonah get dropped off at seaside ports. <laughs> like, see ya, have a great day, right? The third day is the day that stones get rolled away and crucified carpenters walk out alive. The third day is God's day. Three-day stories, there's hope. And we live in a world, we live in an era of the third day, don't we? We live and we are reminded Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. We're reminded every time we open this book. We're reminded, whether we know it or not, every time we say the day of today. What's today's, what day is it today? Sunday. You know what? It's the Sunday. It's resurrection day. It's Jesus day. Every time we say the year, right, we're reminded that this Savior came, this, that died and rose again on the third day. We live in an era where there is hope for us, and we are confident. We know that neither death nor life nor anything in all of creation could ever separate us from the love of God because we've seen it in a Savior that died and rose again. There's hope, we, we know, right? There's hope beyond the grave because the Savior has come, because of the resurrection of Christ. We know that no matter how deep we've gone in this downward spiral, no matter how much it seems like the floor has dropped out and we are in a free fall, we know that there is one that is stronger still who conquered death and came back to life on the third day. We know there's hope, don't we? We know there's life. We know there's restora restoration. We know there's power in the name of Jesus. We know that because he lives, we live. Because he's alive, because of the third day, there is hope. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we face. The story of Jonah is a three-day story. In our stories are three-day stories. Don't ever forget it. It could be that, we're, that we've been living in the cycle of pride and we've been running far from God. We've been holding stuff back. It could be that the pain level in our life is just about to an excruciating level these days 
and we're not sure how we can go on. That's a three-day story. It could seem like all hope is lost. It could seem like there's no way out. How could God ever forgive you? How could God ever make things right? But it's a three-day story. Your story and mine, they're three-day stories. Because Christ lives. We live. I don't know where you're at with God today. I'm not sure what's happening. Maybe, like I said, maybe that pride cycle is at work in you and you've been running. It could be anything, right? It could be relationships that, are, that you're feeling it in. Maybe, maybe the pain level's rising there. Could be work-related. Could be just morality-related. Could be all kinds of things. But maybe today the living God is speaking to you and saying, man, would you learn a lesson from Jonah? You don't have to, pain does not have to be your teacher. You don't have to let that keep going bigger and bigger and bigger. You can hit the relief valve, right? Turn back to God. Open up your heart and life and say, would you come? Would you forgive me for running? Would you bring me home? Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe, maybe you just need to be reminded, man, I, there's a God that's crazy about you, who died to save you, who's waiting and, and working and pursuing you all in an effort to bring you back home. If you haven't done that, do it today. Even if you did it years ago, but you, you've been running in one way or another, man, come back home today. I don't know, maybe you're here and you're just in a rough season, and maybe today you just need to be reminded that even if, even if you're living out the story of Jonah, that the story of Jonah, the story of Jesus, more importantly, and the story of our lives is a three-day story. It may seem dark today, but there's hope, and there's life, and there's salvation. As we turn to Christ, we open up our lives, and we wait on and live with him. Let's turn towards him. Let's close in prayer and just kind of turn our hearts and our lives to him this morning. Just cry out in your soul, Lord, I need you. Would you come, and would you rescue me? Would you come and bring me home? Let's pray. Father, that's our cry. Lord, I, I think I speak for all of us just when I recognize, just, we just proclaim, God, that way too often we are living in lives that are filled with pride. There are parts of our lives in which we are running from you or we're trying to hold out from you. We're trying to avoid what you want. We're running from your will or your ways. Lord, would you forgive us? God, we're sorry. Forgive us for our folly, for our foolishness of going our own way. And Father, right now in this place, right in this moment, we want to turn back to you. We want to repent and say, come and have your way in us. God, we are yours. Would you come and rescue us from the storms that we face? Would you come and rescue us from our own sin and our own selfishness and our own pain and everything else? Would you come and turn us back to you? Breathe life into our lungs and our souls again. Would you come and rescue? And God, for those that are, um, those of us that are just in a hard season right now, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with hope afresh 
that you would draw our eyes to you, that you'd show us your power and your salvation and just remind us that we serve and follow and live in a three-day story, that another day is coming, one of hope, one in which salvation will be realized, one in which God, the living God, busts into the story. God, would you come and bust into our lives? Would you come and fill us with hope? May your kingdom come, God. May your will be done. May you have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.